The Revolution Podcast, episode number 38. Feedback for The Dark Tower. Hi, you're listening to Revolution Podcast. This is Maria Howell as Grace on Revolution. Golden Spiral Media presents The Revolution Podcast. Support for the Revolution Podcast is provided by listeners like you and our affiliation with HostGator. Not only does HostGator host over 8 million domains and provide powerful, reliable hosting, HostGator is environmentally friendly. Learn more about HostGator and their renewable energy credits by visiting goldenspiralmedia.com slash HostGator today. Welcome back to the Revolution Podcast, everybody. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Daryl. I didn't realize you had a mouthful of cookies when I pointed at you. Sorry about that. Yeah. Not that that would have changed my decision to point at you. I mm-hmm. probably still would have put you on the spot like probably. that. And I probably would have been like... My wife made us cookies. She and I had had a couple of discussions over the last few weeks. She says, you know, I feel bad that I made cookies pretty regularly for you and Clint, but I have yet to make cookies a single time for you and Jeremy. She says, the reason is that you and Clint do your podcast for Fringe on Sunday afternoons, and so it's the afternoon, I'm up and about, and I'm, you know, I can make cookies. But you and Jeremy do your podcast at night, man, the kitchen's closed at that time of night. And But tonight, being the finale, she said, you know what, I'm going to make cookies for you guys. So thanks to my wonderful wife, Carrie, for the delicious cookies that Jeremy and I enjoyed in the last podcast. And again, our our cookie plate was refilled during the break. We're back for the feedback podcast and eating more cookies. Yep. Yeah. So we have a ton of feedback that you guys sent in for the season one finale of Revolution entitled The Dark Tower. Thank you to everybody that sent in feedback. Let's get to it. Come on, man. Where's your dance moves? I was head bobbing. Is that what that was? Yeah. Man. <laughs> That's about all I got. Come on, man. You got to get into it. You I'm gotta... about as a cracker as you can get. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I showed my daughter the uh, video, you know, last week and I did the little. Yeah. Uh, I remember something. that. I tried to forget that. Yeah. She thoroughly enjoyed that. So I thought about doing that again. I thought about doing the sprinkler this week. I don't know how to do the sprinkler, really. It would have been. I even, think it's something like that. Yeah. Like, I don't you know. know. But just, you know, got with it. Anyway, let's get with the feedback here. The first one comes in from Jim. Power on, fellas. Jim in Wisconsin with my feedback for the Dark Tower. I gave it a rating of nine sunken shippers in an obvious reference to Nora's untimely demise. She was the only character that knew what was up between Miles, Rachel, and maybe even Charlie as well. But after her conversation with Rachel, I had a feeling she was a goner. Her idea cleared the path to level 12, and she was rewarded with a nasty shrapnel wound to the midsection. I was really hoping that she had donated a kidney, and they could just sew her up and be on their merry way. But she wasn't going anywhere, and we all know that when you can't run, you crawl. And if you can't do that, well then you get someone to carry you. And in the end, it was Miles carrying her home, so to speak. It was sad to see her go, but once again it showed us that you never know whose number might be up on any given week. And speaking of surprising deaths, I did not expect Randall to go out like that, much less by his own hand. He snuck in at the last second to set off the cliffhanger device, as I figured, but why would he take his own life? 
Was it the instant guilt he was feeling for all those lives he was about to take? Was he following orders that were issued long ago? Or had he been in recent contact with the president's men in Cuba? And where the heck was he hiding while everything was going down? I thought for sure he was going to end up as one of the major villains for next season. Good thing I didn't make any silly fruit wagers on that one. Grace had a few lines that could be led to plot points next season. One about not knowing what exactly went wrong the first time the nanites were deployed, which I assume was a direct reference to Aaron's open back door. Grace also talked about how Ben found Aaron and that it wasn't by chance. There's some more to that story, and I'm looking forward to getting the explanation. And that leads me to a couple things that I noticed. First, I spotted what seems to be another hexadecimal code when Aaron is frantically accessing the nanites to shut them down. Though when I tried to decipher it, all I got was gibberish. Hopefully someone smarter than me saw it and was able to figure out what it was. Next, I thought it was funny how a seemingly dry Nora was just strolling around the tower and bumps into the only people that wouldn't kill her on the spot. You'd think she'd have turned up on someone's monitor by then. Just didn't quite fit. And neither did all the explosives we had this episode. Why the heck would Monroe bring crates of C4 on this mission? He had Randall there to gain entry. I really hope it was just a backup plan. And also, where did Nora find all the stuff to MacGyver a tripwire bomb? Not to mention have time to set it up in a wide open hallway without the Eleveners hearing her from just around the corner. I mean, at least give us a throwaway line that she passed the supply closet while aimlessly traipsing about the bowels of the tower. Man, sometimes I think there are enough plot holes to fill a whole segment of the podcast, but I overlook them because I like where the show's going. They just seem to stick out more and more to me every week now. So where do we go from here? Randall has unleashed ICBMs on Atlanta and Philly in order to wipe out the governing bodies of the eastern seaboard. Do we really think they'll land... Or do we think Grace, Rachel, and Aaron will use their eggheads to come up with a plan? And if they do land, will the U.S. and its shadowy president be on our side? Or will the evolution of the nation be turned into a revolution by the remaining republics? We still have the Plains Nation, the California Commonwealth, and, uh, Texas. You may have been wrong about Monroe, Jeremy, but we still have time travel to fall back on. From the corner of Shut Up and Stay Here, Jim in Wisconsin. All right. It really is uncanny how much you and Jim think alike, isn't it? I mean, he mentioned the shrapnel thing, too, right off the bat. Yeah. What you really don't know is it's me from the future. (laughs) That would explain a lot. All right, so what did you think about what Jim had to say? Well, uh, his Firefly reference of walking and crawling. Yep. Being carried. That's from the message. Was, great, yes. great episode of Firefly. Yeah, well, that's when they filmed, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was the one that they filmed. I know that they found out that's when it was being canceled. I think mm-hmm. I'm not sure if they filmed more after that or not. To I'm be not honest, sure. I'm not, but, Objects in Space might have been the last one they filmed, mm-hmm. but that funeral scene was very poignant right. because they knew this, this show had been right. canceled. And the music there was written because yeah, he he wrote it. And Joss a, Whedon makes a cameo in that funeral scene. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about Revolution at Firefly. We're Firefly yeah. fans, in case you didn't know, and clearly Jim is too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good quote there. Yeah, great that. use of it. I love that he was carrying her when she died. I yep. thought that that was kind of, I don't know, I liked how he was doing that, and his quote makes me like it a whole lot more. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he talked about some of the possible plot holes there with the use of explosives in this episode. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's really, he's right. I mean, why would Monroe have, brought all that C4 with them because you think they would need to, to have saved weight in order to cr- fly across country like that, even though mm. it was multiple helicopters they brought. But I don't know why they would have had that C4 with them, you know? Um, yeah. And where did Nora get this to the, whatever it was that she put that explosive device together with? And yep, those are true, but you know, just 
I can suspend disbelief on that because it was it made for fun portions of the episode, and it sounded like he was willing to roll with yeah. it too. Yeah, I mean, it didn't take away from the show enough to really right. make it annoying. Another part of that scene might have the shrapnel part, but yeah. we've already discussed that, so we're not going we to get into yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. So, but he did mention the, the shrapnel again. You already said that. Um, yeah. And it's, it's sad that even Jim couldn't figure out what the hex code was. So I know. I couldn't either, Jim. I'm with you, man. So we're going to have to... We've got a long wait. Maybe somebody can take some time and work on it. Maybe so. Let's move on. Thank you, Jim, for calling in. Let's move on to Chris. Hey, guys. This is Chris sending in feedback from New York. Um, sending in feedback for the Revolution podcast. I thought this was a pretty good finale. I will be honest and say that I kind of was expecting a bigger cliffhanger, but I did think that it was a little bit bigger than the mid-season finale. Um, down between Miles and uh, Monroe was better in the mid-season finale than in this one. It was a little more exciting for me. And uh, it was kind of nice seeing Monroe um, terrified. You know, I think that he really was. Like, when he was handcuffed to the chair or tied, you could see, like, real terror and fear in his eyes. And it was kind of nice to see because, you know, take of your own medicine, buddy. <laughs> but I did not trust Tom. You know, I knew that when he was letting that guy go, saying, go home to your wife and kids, and, you know, I'm not Monroe, I'm not brutal. You know, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll believe that when I see it. And sure enough, shoots the guy, pretends that he fired first, the other guy. So Tom did not surprise me. Um, I am looking forward to seeing what season two is going to bring us, because I think that a lot of the character, I don't want to say chemistry, but just the way that... Um, characters interact with each other and whatnot. I think that's going to be very different. And I was very sad to see Nora go because she was my favorite character, and that makes three major deaths this season. I mean, we had Maggie, Danny, and uh, now Nora. And, you know, and obviously we had other people too, like Randall, you know, but those were the three big ones for me. So, all right, well, thanks a lot for listening. I really appreciate it, and bye-bye. All right. Chris is uh, obviously sick when he called that in hopefully he's feeling better and uh thanks for calling in I, he sounded terrible but uh thanks for calling in in spite of your not feeling well uh yeah you know he, we talked a couple weeks ago about people dying mm-hmm. being a reminder that anybody could die we did get two significant deaths in this episode and one by his own hand and one certainly not but it yeah. did help reinforce that you know anybody could die at any, at any yeah. moment really and as, as frustrating as it might be that they seem to be meaningless, I kind of like the fact that Maggie died. Okay. You know, Nora died. It wasn't necessarily impactful as the death. It kind of shows the, the futility of death. So I kind of like that a bit. So, yeah. Especially Maggie's and how unexpected. And well, we were sad when she died because we. She was one of we, we after the pilot we said which characters are you most interested yeah. about and she came to near the top of both of our lists and to lose her pretty early on and she died in the plague dogs whichever episode that was and, yeah uh, like you know four yeah pretty like early that. yeah anyway he also talked about Monroe being scared and and yeah. you mentioned in the last episode about how you got some enjoyment out of having the tables turned on Monroe yeah yeah I agree with Chris here um it was great to see him scared for his life and to see him realize that he wasn't in control of the situation. So 
he mentions him being tied up and everything as well, but I like them being shot at more than him being tied up. So Yeah, the helicopter yeah. scene, yeah. Yeah. And he also shares that the thought that he didn't really see Tom being a benevolent leader. Yeah, sorry, I I told you last night. I I did. I thought he was gonna be different from Monroe. Yeah, he's better than Monroe. It's but. not that I didn't think he was capable of doing that. It's just, like I said before, I, the the men believed that he would be different. That's why they helped set him free. He was, it was an encounter with one of the men. So I thought he would make a different decision. That that was my only logic behind it, and it was, yeah, faulty. Well, I mean, to be completely fair to Tom, this guy's his enemy. So far, he's not killed anybody that he supposedly had held at a high position. I don't disagree. And a week ago, we talked about how he was going to need to kill Major Franklin. Mm-hmm. It was just that he had Major Franklin captured, and I, I, I fell for it. That's yeah. all. I, so. I, last week, I expected him to kill Franklin. But this week, I took him at face value, which is stupid on my part. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll end with you being stupid. So. <laughs> all right. Chris, thank you again for calling in. We appreciate it. Let's move on to James. Hi, Daryl and Jeremy, and I do say Daryl first. I'll always say Daryl first because Jeremy insulted the TARDIS one time. This is James from Oregon calling with feedback for the Revolution season finale. I was extremely pleased with this episode and with the season in general. Uh, There were a lot of answers that moved very quick, but each answer brought forth a much bigger question than you had before. It was an exciting formula, and it was a very tantalizing season. I particularly loved the last seven minutes. We got the exact cliffhanger that we were expecting with Aaron and pushing the button. And I thought that that was it. And then there were five minutes left. Um, I loved it. And that caught me off guard. And then they were able to come in with the big knockout punches with Randall and with the nukes and Guantanamo Bay and everything. So I guess that does it for this season. Um, I love listening to your guys' podcast. Keep up the good work. Even Jeremy's good work. Even even with that one comment. And I hope that we don't have to wait too long for season two of Revolution. Signing off, this is James from Oregon. All right, James. I need to be refreshed as to what the insult was. I don't remember what it was either. It might have been the, the, the day I just pulled my TARDIS off the shelf behind me here and uh, and have it. It might have been the day where I was showing it off. You know, we ran the Think Geek ad yeah. and I talked about the TARDIS that you guys had given me as I, right. as I left. Martin. Not you guys. You didn't You didn't pitch in because you didn't know I wasn't about told. It. Yeah. I know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might have been that day. I don't know. But thank you, James, in spite of Jeremy's disrespect to one of the greatest shows in history. Well, I'll disrespect it now. No, it's not. <laughs> wow. <laughs> James. I haven't watched it yet. I well, then how can you say that? It's like me dissing I, that's what I, That's what I'm saying. I won't pass official judgment, just judgment enough to poke a stick at a snake. That's all. There it's a go. big snake. There are a lot of uh, <laughs> Dr. Who fans out there. We're going to lose half our listeners. Sorry, yeah. guys. Um, okay. So, you know, he was blown away by all the twists and turns in, in the finale. And I completely yeah. agree with you, James. I mean, that's one of the things that I loved about it. Look. I, I watched an interview this week. I watched it a couple of times because I enjoyed it so much. And then I, I brought my wife in and we watched it together. And it was with several of the folks from Revolution, but David Rambo in particular. And he's one of the, um, I don't know if he's one of the producers. I'm not sure exactly what his exact title is, but he's pretty high up in the show. And he said, look, we've got a finale coming that nobody will see coming. And I remember thinking, 
I don't expect to know what's like, I, I'm, I'm terrible at predicting exactly what's going to happen. But Lost had this phrase, you know, it was the snake in the mailbox is what they called it one year. It was the fork in the outlet, I think, another year. Um, and it was the frozen donkey wheel another year, which was ironic because they had these, these code names for what was going to blow your mind at the end of the season. What was going to be the big shocking revelation? And the frozen donkey wheel, it, it, the code name would be made available publicly. It got out somehow, you know, and people would speculate on what it might be. And I remember when the frozen donkey wheel became made public, we started speculating on what it might be. No one ever thought it would actually literally be a frozen donkey wheel, which was brilliant on their part. But I didn't expect a, a snake in the mailbox scenario with, with revolution this year. Even when David Rambo said it, I thought, yeah, they might do something that I don't see coming, but I don't see something, you know, I didn't expect it to blow my mind the way that the finale did, but man, it was a snake in the mailbox moment for me. Did that make sense to anybody but me? <laughs> did I just ramble on incoherently? I was eating a cookie. Was I crazy grandpa right then? I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I thought that uh, this season finale, I loved it. I mean, exactly what James said with the whole, um, we got the cliffhanger we were expecting. And when they pushed the button, it's a black screen and there's the end. And I was like, no way that they actually did that. But uh, I was a little disappointed with them, um, or not not disappointed with that. It was just like, wow, that's awesome. I'm, I'm pumped. And then like he did, I looked at the clock. We've still got time yeah. on this sucker. That's right. And then, bam, they came in with the headshot with the nukes, like he said. And, and I loved that because we got what we were expecting. Yep. But then at the same time, we got more. And there was a little bit of a twist there that we weren't really looking at. So right. I like that a lot. I so. did too. All right, James, thanks for calling in. And thanks for not holding a grudge against Jeremy. I'm hoping you still have enough grace to not hold Jeremy, um, <laughs> not hate him too much for the for the comment he made a moment ago. All right, let's move on to Yo-Yo. Hi, this is Yo-Yo from Kansas City calling on the season finale of Revolution, The Dark Tower. Thank you guys again for doing this podcast this year. It's been lots of fun and I've enjoyed it. And thanks again for giving us a little bit of extra time to get feedback in. Well, I think Jeremy's going to be eating some kiwis, but then again, I think all of us are. Um, I can't think of one person I've heard call in that was on the money on the uh, season finale. I think we all got at least part of it totally wrong. Um, first of all, Tom and Jason, that is a really interesting relationship. Tom's told Jason, you're the only one I can trust. But if I was with Jason, I'd be, you know, jumping up and down going, dude, I don't trust you. Um, Tom sets up a guy thinking that he's going to be able to go home to his family and then makes it look like he got, like he shot at Tom and then shot, and, and Tom shot him in self-defense. I wonder if he really was going to give Monroe a trial or if Monroe was going to have an untimely accident. I really do think that Monroe feels like he's done everything for Miles. Miles talked at the very beginning about how there needed to be some kind of order in the world and somebody helping control things so it didn't go all crazy. And I think Miles took that to heart and decided to go with it. And, you know, of course, obviously took it a little bit too far, but I can see where he thinks that he did everything for Miles. So that's very interesting. I wonder if they're going to continue to not really work together, but not really work against each other either, because... Now that Philadelphia and Atlanta look like they're going to be wiped off the map, it looks like Monroe's going to be um, still around. So is he going to resume his general duties? Is he going to join the rebels now? And the rebels being taking over this new president that we saw in Cuba? It's going to be interesting. 
Aaron, um, I'm very interested in how what algorithm he could have possibly written for Google that would control nanites to where they sucked up all the power and then they could turn them off. I don't understand that one at all. What those two algorithms had anything to do with each other. Now, of course, maybe they didn't. Apparently, it was written back when he was in MIT, but I don't understand where that algorithm came from at all, out of Aaron anyway. So that was very interesting to me. So uh, Charlie and Rachel, um, another really interesting relationship. Um, Rachel let Charlie down again. I don't know what she, Rachel Charlie's going to do with it. I would be surprised if Charlie ever asks for anything from Rachel again. I would say this incident has pretty much done it. Um, also, I wanted to say uh, that Nora is yet another major character that we have seen that has gotten hit and has died besides uh, Danny and um, what's her name for the first few episodes? I don't even remember her name, but uh, the one that Ben was um, had a relationship with at the beginning of the show. So I think they have proven that major characters can be killed off. Um, the last thing I wanted to say was with Randall. I'm kind of confused on what his game plan was. I think we know that he deliberately shut off the power or messed up the nanites or whatever to where the power went off everywhere. And then 15 years later decided that he was a patriot and, and he wanted the old United States back with the old president. I don't understand exactly what his end game was. And maybe it will become a little clearer. Maybe we'll never know since he appears to be dead now. So um, I just would like to hear you guys' thoughts about that. Again, thank you for the podcast. Have an excellent summer. And we'll see you next year. All right. Thanks, Yo-Yo. She covered so much ground in, in that um, you know, we talked a little bit about Randall's game plan yeah. in the last podcast, and we were kind of scratching our heads, too, because we're not exactly sure how much of his story and motives is things that we have kind of assumed and placed upon him and how much of it was actually mm-hmm. true. And so we're we're kind of, he's kind of an enigma still, right? Yeah. Maybe he'll be back as a zombie next week. No, not next week, but the Walking yeah. Revolution. Yeah, exactly. That'd be cool, sort of. Yeah, so yeah, we've we've already discussed Randall. So, um, and I've been reading the chat while you were talking, so I completely am letting you down right now. It's okay. I have a few more notes. I can, I can carry you here if you can't even crawl, Jeremy. I will carry you here well, through Yo Yo's feedback. I have got her feedback. I was talking about you. Oh no! If you got more on her, let's do it. Okay. Um. Well. She talks about the Tom and Jason, how Tom kind of trusts Jason. Jason obviously doesn't trust his dad. I think we talked about this before, but I'm definitely interested to see what Jason is going to do here. And and I'm interested to see why Tom supposedly trusts Jason. Yeah, I don't know why he would unless he feels like he can control Jason, which I don't know why right. he would think that either. Right. But maybe he's got an ace up his sleeve somewhere that he's going to pull out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. You know, she also talked about the the code that Aaron had written. And I don't know that we can assume that the code that is running the nanites and the OS of the tower mm-hmm. is the same that that he did for Google. It right. could be, you know, because he, he's, he's definitely talked about, you know, while he was in, at MIT, he what he did there, he took with Google. Or we learned that maybe when... Uh, Tom was talking about the the Wired article or something. It seems that we've heard that somewhere along the way, but I don't know that we know that the code that you know helped him found Google also 
is the exact same code that the tower is now being used. He did originate both of those code in this fictional piece we call Revolution, but I don't know that they are also one and the same. Right. Yeah, I don't think an algorithm for a search would would do a whole lot other than an artificial intelligence. I, I could see how that would pull be pulled in because it would be self-learning. I could see that, um, and I could also <laughs> see its efficiencies in data crunching. Right. But let's so I could see some some there, but I don't know that we know that they are the same. Right. And from what I understood, again, it's the operating system he wrote at MIT. That's what they say is the OS. That's so, right. Um, yeah, I think they're definitely two different things. He did one for Google and one for his thesis, essentially. Yeah, could be. So he's just trying to get an A. Yeah, that's right. That's what he says in the footnotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anything else you want to cover on her? Nope. Okay. Thanks, Yo-Yo. We genuinely appreciate it. And let's move on to Colin. This is Colin in Hawaii with my thoughts on the season finale for Revolution. Now that was the way to end a season. Right from the start, the opening bars of Can't Find My Way Home set me in a good mood and the episode built up from there. I think the key for me was the way that all the characters acted in character, showing that you don't need contrived actions to still offer plot twists and turns. There were low points. For example, are we to believe that the Butcher of Baltimore is so put off by the death of the bomber's family that it would drive a wedge between him and Miles? Also, a pile of C4 to break into a bunker? A bunker hardened to protect the vice president from Armageddon? I'm not buying it. And finally, a big red button to fire nukes? What happened to two guys with two keys on two separate consoles set far apart? Tom was exactly as expected, predictably unpredictable. He is easily the most dangerous player in this drama. Angry, petty, and ruthless, but also smart and adaptable. He is charismatic in a Jones or Koresh kind of way, easily manipulating his son to support him. Rachel continues to be the weakest point for me. I simply don't understand how she can alternate between steely resolve and a sniveling mess in scene after scene. The whole, (laughs) it's for Danny, thing simply is not believable. I can honestly say this is one character I wouldn't mind seeing gone. Maybe Charlie can kill her. It would give her something (laughs) to do. Just kidding on that one. Miles and Monroe fighting together again, once again proving that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I'm not 100% sure how Miles managed to stroll into the camp to free Bass or get to level 12, but I'll suspend belief for now. Miles does the right thing by trying to save Nora. And on the subject of Nora, she died saving her friends. That's more than Captain Kirk can say. And of course, there's the big reveal. Randall is a patriot, working on behalf of the U.S. government. I think we always knew he was a baddie, but I always thought that his hidden agenda was self-serving to avenge his son's death, which, in some weird way, is believable, whereas Rachel is not. Go figure. So who is this president? Was he elected before the blackout? Is he still serving 15 years later? Is that even legitimate? And what U.S. president would authorize a nuclear strike in the continental United States? Anyway, it's a good wrap-up to the season, with enough resolution to this season's story arcs while opening a new one. Well done. I'll give it 8 out of 10 backdoor references that Charlie won't understand. Aloha (laughs) from Colin in Hawaii, where I've left every light switch turned on for 15 years, just in case. (laughs) 
<laughs> Great sign off, Colin. Yeah. And I'm glad to hear you liked it. You know, last week Colin uh, called in and, mm-hmm. and really wasn't too happy with some things on the, on the episode. And this week, really enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. thanks, Colin, for, for calling in. We always, you know, appreciate good, bad, or otherwise. And, and we shared that with you last week, too. So thank you for calling in again. Where do you want to start with his, with his feedback? C4 blowing up the door. We mentioned that earlier, uh, yeah. how unbelievable that is. I will say, and this doesn't make any any more believable to me, but it didn't blow open the door. It didn't look like it. It looked like it blew like enough where they could tunnel underneath the door, but that concrete would have been deep enough where, well, and the concrete still could have been deep, but they, it, it you know, got enough of it loose where they could kind of tunnel underneath the door. But still, that's not entirely, that's not how they would have built the the tower entrance in it, but you're right. Yeah. I'm not going to defend that. Yeah. And he asks what kind of president would nuke uh, the continental U S uh, I a fake president. Agree. Yeah. I mean, the, the, we've got to learn more about this story right. and we so, came up with a couple of plausibilities in the route in the last mm-hmm. podcast, but we need to know more before we can figure that one out for sure. It's a good point though. Yeah. He did talk about the big red button. I'll say this about the big red button. They did have to have high-level key cards to get into those rooms. And who knows? Maybe there were two rooms for a reason. One activated the system, one fired the system. And so you mm-hmm. couldn't be in both places at the same time. You know, Maybe that was really the level of security. So in this situation, you did have two keys and two systems in place to validate the launch. I don't know. But there was a big red button. And I think there is. I mean, there has to be some sort of switch you hit. Yeah. I mean, I used to work for a guy whose son was in the military and was in charge of the button on a submarine. Hmm. He always called it the button, but I don't know if that was just the way they called it so that, you know, civilians like us would recognize what they were talking about or if really, you know, you have the the verification process, but then Mm -hmm. it ultimately does go down to a a big red button. I don't know. I've never seen it. I think the button, the whole thing, yeah, it's a red button. It's silly. It's not two keys. That's frustrating. It's kind of silly, but the ultimate Oh, I don't know. What's the word? Stupidity of that scene <laughs> yeah. is that he shot the button as if the same button that launches it is going to detonate the warheads or disable it. Sure. I, sure. You're right. As And as if shooting the button would actually prevent somebody from stopping it. But you see that in every movie and every TV show. That's right. It's a, it's a typical thing. Yeah. Well, Aaron, somebody. Aaron, sh- go ahead. I was just saying somebody also shot the, uh, the keypad. Well, he did. That's how he locked that, him in the okay. room. Shooting the keypad doesn't do that. Right. Just you don't need the outside keypad to get out from the inside. Right. Yeah. Aaron might have the ability to, to write, not write some code, but you know, get on the system real quick and override what he's done. We talked about shutting the power off as an option. You never know with his ability. There's a back door. Yeah. You know, and he's able to, uh, reprogram a, a nanite to, heal a leg right and it took him five minutes so yeah he's got some uh elite coder skills that's there's, for sure. yeah there's some there's some options that they have based on you know what aaron's abilities are he made a great point about at the point when rachel went two miles which was before the 10-year mark he was already known as the butcher of baltimore right so why would he have been so offended is not the right word, but I'll use it right. about what Miles, excuse me, Monroe, hey, I made it to the second podcast this week, Monroe did to, um, 
you know, with the, against that wife and kids to really put him at odds against him. It's a great yeah, point. A very good point. But we still don't know what the butcher of Baltimore did. You would think there would be butchering of men and women and children. Well, I mean, you have the, I mean, Boston Massacre. It, it wasn't of women and children. It didn't include them. It was just, I mean, at least I don't believe it. <laughs> so it may I'm going to make have. myself look a fool if if yeah. I'm wrong there. But I just, I don't think that, I mean, you can, I, I think you can massacre people without massacring innocent uh, people. You absolutely can. Well, I say that. I mean, they were probably still innocent, but maybe they were defending Baltimore. But at the same time, I mean, they're his enemy at that yeah. point. So, But you would have to have kind of a ruthless reputation to earn that. And, yeah. and the ruthlessness is really what caused Monroe to make that decision to kill the wife and children. I th- I'm, I'm just saying, and I don't think you're disagreeing that mm-hmm. Colin is making a good point. Right. It's a solid point. Up. It's a yeah. great point. But yeah. I'm just saying that we still don't know what the Butcher of Baltimore really exactly did. did. So. Sure. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to cover there? No. Thank you very much, Colin. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. Let's get into the written feedback that we have. This first one's going to come in from Mickey here in the great city of Oklahoma City. Mickey says, hello, Daryl and Jeremy. First of all, I want to thank you for the podcast of the revolution season. It has taken a show that I liked into a show that I must see, if only to keep up with the podcasts. I look forward to the next season of revolution and another season of podcasts from Golden Spiral Media. About the finale, I would have to rate it a 9.5 ICBMs. That sounds funny. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, I got juvenile for a second. I must confess that I never considered the direction they went with this episode. It came as a total surprise that Randall was acting on behalf of the president and not his own power grab was something unique in this series. I can't imagine that the missiles are going to blow up. Either they are not going to work and land with a thud, or Miles and the gang are going to find a way into the room and stop them. Otherwise, they are going to have to activate the Omega-13 to keep the world from blowing up. Regarding Miles and Monroe, I know that Jeremy wants Monroe to die, but it would, but I would like to see them reunited and Monroe redeemed. I think the two of them would make a great watching. I was not terribly surprised at Miles' confession to Monroe that he could not kill him because he still thought of him as a brother. It seemed obvious that Miles still cared about Monroe. Poor Nora. I said after she threw the fire extinguisher, Nora got hit even though it looked like that blast had hit the wall. You guys had predicted her demise. It just took a couple extra weeks. One point of continuity. I thought that the tower people had dismantled the elevator structure leading to level 12. Yet Tom and his boys take it straight down to level 12. All in all, I liked the episode and the season as a whole, but still to this day my favorite scene is when Aaron and Maggie were sitting on Grace's house, sitting in Grace's house, and Aaron tells Maggie that he had wealth and planes and limos and his wife didn't care about any of it. And then the pendant turns on and the CD player turns on and Maggie gets to see her kids. If you have time, I would like to give some other observations on the show, especially the power situation. I had previously called in with a prediction that it would be something to do with zero-point energy. Guess not. However, regarding the nanites, I thought that they were looking into a source for cheap energy. How were the nanites going to do this? Secondly, nanites are molecular-sized machines and electricity is electrons. How many electrons can a nanite absorb? They have two instructions, we were told, absorb energy and replicate. 
At what point to the replicating nanites or do the replicating nanites become visible? Even molecules are visible when you get enough of them, and I would have to say that their rate of growth is exponential. I do, however, like the possible storylines the nanites bring. That's all I have for now. Thanks again, and goodbye from the Oklahoma side of the Texas Republic. Mickey in OKC. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mickey. <clears throat> um, your thoughts for the nanites? I really can't say anything to say you're wrong. It, I would assume that they could see the nanites as well. I've kind of thought that in the past, but I just kind of pretended that whatever technology they created yeah. worked. I'm, I'm ignorant here with these things. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to roll with it. Yeah. There's a logical point to what he says there. I just don't know if it's the way it would work or not. <laughs> yeah. He's really wanting Monroe to be redeemed. And again, I really wanted Tom to be redeemed and Monroe to die. But hey, who knows? There's a lot of places we can go with that. And, and maybe Monroe will still be bad. Perhaps. Hope. Perhaps. Um, he, he asked about the elevator, you know, yeah. trying to get down to level 12. And I, I'm not real clear on that either, Mickey. But I, th- I think perhaps it was one of those elevators where a key card would get you further access. We know that Randall had a key card. We know that Rachel had a key card. We don't know how Tom and the boys got down there. They could have taken the stairwell, which would have been wide open since everybody else was had their attention elsewhere. Um, I think it showed them in the elevator. Did it show Tom and the boys in the elevator? Yeah. That's why he brings that up. Well, so. if that's the case, then maybe they unlocked the elevators. I don't know. It's a good question. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah. Maybe we misunderstood. Who maybe. Knows? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mickey. Good to hear from you. All right. The next one comes in from Princess. And she says, hey, Jeremy and Daryl. This is Princess from Arizona, a.k.a. Princess T. Taylor. Sending you some thoughts on some key moments of revolution this week. Miles and Monroe. Love the insight from the flashback, but even more so I love the heartfelt confession in the tent right before Miles uses Monroe as a distraction to get into the tower. It's going to sound terrible, but I actually felt a little bad for Monroe. But of course I thought, if everyone is out to get Monroe this episode, then he's not actually going to die yet. Sorry, Jeremy. (laughs) Charlie is just awesome in this episode for me, but maybe I think... I just think she's at her best when she's sticking up for someone. But her attempting to to sway her mother, Danny's dead, your daughter's standing right in front of her, right in front of you, loved it. Aaron and and this virtual back door being open already, plus Randall's comments and the reveal of the president, that took a whole other turn for me. I wonder why I never thought to question what happened to the president and the possibility that this all could be his fault. I'd like to think Jason is a little smarter than this, falling in behind his dad so easily. After that display he put on for Neville a few episodes back, when Neville was held captive, and the Love Boat episode, I have to believe he's got a backup planned for in store for his dad. The designer-slash-movie-lover side of me has to say that I, I love how they cut to black right as Aaron pushed the button to power on the lights, and then the lights on sequence following that. Don't get me wrong, I was pissed that it happened right then, but it was so dramatic that I forgave it. <laughs> I did wonder why, if the lights had been turned out, was not one light on when I zoomed to the wide-angle view of Guantanamo Bay. That seemed completely unrealistic. Everywhere else, random lights and objects were turning on. But Zip in Cuba? Oh well. This season started was a great start to the series, 
and this was an awesome finale. Thanks to the podcast, to this podcast, anything that I missed or didn't completely get was revealed to me. So thanks, Daryl and Jeremy and everyone. That's all for me this season. Stoically surviving at the bottom of the wastelands, Princess. <laughs> nice sign off. Indeed. Yeah, good points. I mean, some some things that she liked there. I mean, the, the Charlie thing. Charlie's been interesting, right? I mean, we've had some... She's always been such a polarizing character throughout the entire series. At first, people either loved her or loved to hate on her. Mm-hmm. And then we got some email a few weeks ago about her being relegated to rolling her eyes in one-liners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this week, she didn't have a whole lot more than that, but that scene with her mom where she says, your daughter is standing right here, just as Princess points out, is yeah. really one of the the better scenes, I think, of season one. It yeah. is definitely... I mean, a lot has to to happen to make that to make that scene pay off the way that it yeah. did. Yeah. Um. But man, that was a really good scene. I, I loved it as well, and certainly puts that relationship in a completely precarious position leading into season two. Yeah. Um. Princess also talks about. I'm just not even going to segue this. Uh. Miles using Monroe as a distraction to get in the tower, and yes. that's something that we've not discussed. It, even though he saves Monroe. He still uses him to get into the tower. And I thought that was actually a brilliant maneuver. I did too. That didn't occur to me until my second watch and I liked it so much. I made sure that I I worded it that way. And if you go back and listen to the episode recap, I said something to the effect of now that the militia camp is cleared, Miles uses that to get into the tower. And it was a brilliant tactical maneuver Mm -hmm. on his part for sure. Yeah, so... Anything else? Um, nothing else that I don't think we hadn't already covered right. pretty well. So okay, all right. Well, thank you, Princess. Again, good to hear from you. Thank you for writing in um, several times throughout the season. We've got one more. We're going to read, and oh, I got two more. We're going to read, don't we? We have Kevin yeah. and Barb. Barb. All right, I'll take Barb. Okay. Um, hello, Daryl and Kiwi eating Jeremy. <laughs> That's so mean. This is Barb, a.k.a. Tangier14, in Phoenix with feedback on the Dark Tower. First, I want to say that I'm glad that Golden Spiral Media, uh, that the Golden Spiral Media family is okay from the two devastating tornadoes to hit Oklahoma City. My thoughts and prayers go out to your fellow Okies. What an incredible end to season one and leaving us just drooling for season two. There is so much to think about and I know I'll be rewatching this summer and looking for clues and new perspectives. I really liked Miles finally begin to break through the walls he has built up around himself over the past few years, first admitting that he can't kill his former best friend, and then realizing how much he cared for Nora, and it was glad and I was glad to see him look her in the eye and tell her he wasn't leaving her. His pure grief at her loss was all the more poignant. And then there's Rachel. Her refusal to help her daughter when Charlie said, But I am here, your daughter, standing right in front of you. I'm alive and I'm asking for your help. And all Rachel cared about was going to level 12 and turning on the power. That combined with Rachel telling Grace that the day Danny was born was the best day of my life. I was hit over hills. Well, that sounds like a woman talking about her very first child. So what does that really say about Charlie's parentage? Didn't Rachel want Charlie? Are we going to have a third guess as to who Charlie's father is? And did Rachel really want to turn on the power for revenge, or did she have an ulterior motive? I don't think Rachel knew how important Aaron was, but Ben and Grace did. And who opened the program's back door before Aaron? 
And who reprogrammed the missiles to hit Atlanta and Philadelphia because it didn't happen before the power went out and Randall, Randall didn't know his way around the computer? It's a good question. I think we have another patriot mole working for the president. So Grace or Rachel or someone new? Guess we'll find out next season. This is Barb signing off from the Great Wasteland where it doesn't pay to mess with us. You know, I hadn't really thought about that. You just turned them on and boom, they're going to... I assumed he had already programmed them. But how would he have already programmed them? It would have had to have been before the power went out. Maybe he did. The power was on in the room already. Yes, it was. Yes, so, of course it was. Yes. I mean, I think he reprogrammed them. So. Okay. Yeah. That's a good Sorry. I didn't think about that. It's going to shoot that down. It's all right. You're not shooting me down. You're shooting Barb down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she made some comment about me eating kiwi so <laughs> she did that's what you get yeah um she talked about the rachel scene I, again i mean we just we just talked about it with princess yeah. but that is such a big scene and mm-hmm. she but she talks about did rachel feel that way because maybe charlie is not her first child it, it it's a great debate right we've had the debate is rachel excuse me is charlie ben's daughter but and I'm not, I don't know. Is she, I'm not, I'm not speaking clearly here, obviously. Yeah, I'm having a hard time following. Is there an argument to be had that maybe even Rachel isn't Charlie's mother? Yeah, uh, it's an argument. I'm not going to say it's a great argument, but I, I have wondered whether or not Rachel was her mother at, at a few points. The only thing is, is I can't figure out who would be her mother and why would they take care of her if it wasn't them and the only reason i have a hard time figuring that out is if it's miles daughter and it's not rachel's daughter then why would rachel and ben take her in so it has to be either ben's and another woman's or rachel's and another man's yeah and i'll still lean towards rachel and another man but that man is someone that ended very badly so much so that she takes those feelings about that man and is putting them on Charlie, so that she doesn't mm. have genuine love for Charlie. And that's Miles. It could be. Or Monroe. Could be. Or Ben. I mean, it could it be. It could somebody. be Ben. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's actually Ben. I think at this point we would all be shocked if we found out it was Ben. I think we would too. Because, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, short of them give us, giving us the scene where they conceived, I think we'll all be pretty much believing it's not Ben's. I mean, they have to conclusively answer that. Yeah. Uh, so we don't question. Otherwise, I think we're going to continue questioning Yeah. Uh, who her patronage is. So mm, thank you very much, Barb. And uh, have some kiwis. They are delicious. <laughs> you would know. Yes, I would. All right. The next uh, letter comes from Kevin. And he says, Daryl and Jeremy, wow, what a great way to end the season. Can't wait for season two. I give this episode nine out of ten ICBMs. It's a shame that Nora had to die and that Rachel wasn't willing to help. You can see the strained relationship between Rachel and Charlie now. I like how they resolved the Miles and Monroe storyline and how Miles couldn't kill Monroe. I think that Monroe is a man without a country and will go in search of his son. I think that he and Miles will join forces once again. I wonder if the blackout was planned all along as part of some government conspiracy and what was the purpose of it. Some thoughts on where I think we may go next season. I think that Aaron will use his iPad and override the missile control. I think that Miles, Charlie, Monroe, and his son will join with the president and fight against Tom and what is left of the militia. 
Sorry, Jeremy, but the only time travel will be the flashback variety. One last note. I hope that they do some things during the break, like they did with the webisodes, to help fill in some of the backstories. From a citizen of the former Monroe Republic in upstate New York, Kevin. So what are we going to call it? We're going to call it Nevilleville? We're going to call it... We might be calling it Glass. We'll see. Yeah, it's possible. So If it gets nuked. He called Monroe a man with no country, and yeah. I think that's a good way of phrasing it. I, I tried to express it in, the, in our last podcast and didn't come up with nearly anything mm-hmm. that intelligent to describe it, but he really has nothing at this point, particularly if that bomb does it. If he, yeah. if he doesn't get back to Philly before everyone else, or if that bomb goes off on Philly, he really is a man with no country. Yeah, I agree. Um, if he gets back to Philly before Monroe, or before Tom... Tom mm-hmm. Which I don't know how that's possible, but if he does, if he does, um, it, it'd be sorry. I just remembered something important. Tom has a pendant. He took the pendant, and put it in his pocket, right. didn't he? When they when they landed their chopper, right? Monroe does not have a pendant because it got blown up, right? Not that Tom could fly the helicopter, but sorry, I just thought of that. Go ahead. I'm sure somebody's going to take a helicopter. Yep, uh, it's going to run without fuel. It's they'll be able to find a pilot anywhere. Yeah, uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. But I like how uh, he's, he says he's going to go in search of his son. And, and I think that would be kind of interesting if if Monroe is searching for his son. And maybe we don't see him for a couple of episodes, assuming he's not dead at the end of the first episode next season. Um, but, yeah, we have his son, and I think his son is a great cue as to why Monroe couldn't die. But I like the man without a country. I think that's good, good example there. Yeah. The other thing I wrote down was he talked about the blackout being a government conspiracy, and I mm-hmm. certainly think that there is plausibility for that. Again, we don't know what Randall's game was, right. what his role was in the blackout, what the president thought his role was in, in the blackout. If, if he was responsible for the blackout and the president knew that, then I think you have a government conspiracy. Right. But if he duped the president in thinking that he was a man on the inside that could fix it, that it was his people that must have done something, whatever, whatever, then, you know, maybe not government conspiracy. Maybe the president mm-hmm. really thinks that Randall's the guy who saved the day and not caused the blackout in the first place. And, and that would actually be plausible had Randall not shot himself. But since he shot himself, it can't be Randall's idea because his idea is all over the wall at the moment. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I still think that there's enough mm-hmm. questions out there that, that we just don't know the answers to. That's true. There are questions we don't even know to be asking right now. I like that, though. Okay. Anything else you want to cover there? No. Thank you very much, Kevin. All right, Kevin, thank you so much. Let's get back to the audios with Comey. Hey, guys, this is uh, Comey Akpola calling from Savannah, Georgia, calling on the Revolution finale. Um, I give this episode a 7 out of 10 random Brother Cavill moments because that was one heck of a random headshot. Anyway, um, this episode for me I thought was a microcosm of the entire season as a whole. A lot of hype, a lot of expectations, but it never really reached the heights of where hype meets expectations. It just kind of bounced around from one thing to the next and didn't really stick to the point of what I, at least what I personally wanted to see. I wanted to get a lot of backstory and exposition on the tower and the background of who caused the blackout, why they caused the blackout, and just stuff like that, but what we got a lot of was kind of the same thing over and over again, and stuff that we've seen throughout the entire season, which is a lot of 
flashbacks of Miles and a lot of flashbacks of Monroe. We know what the relationship is about. They've beaten us over the head with that stuff for over the course of the season. We know that they have a strong bond and they had a falling out. They did need to be spend more time on it, especially in the finale when they had to do so much and they had so much other stuff that they could have dealt with. But they focused on that and I was really disappointed. Every time they went back to Monroe flashback, I was like, uh, this again and I immediately went to my laptop and started browsing the internet until they got to uh, Aaron, Rachel, and Charlie, which I thought was a little bit more exciting and a little bit more interesting because, again, I really wanted to see what was in Level 12. They've talked about that for several episodes now, and we didn't really get much of Level 12 action. Uh, it was good to see that they turned on the power and got the power back, turned back on. A little weird that everything turned on, even though I don't know how the power grid system works, but I assume that someone has to man those stations and it, it wouldn't be as simple as electricity is back, so all the power grids around the country are operating again. Uh, it, that's a small point for me, but still, just another issue that I had with the show as a whole in this episode in particular. But overall, I'm still looking forward to season two. I'm hoping for better things in season two. I hope the writers take the break and find a way to readjust and get everything straightened out for the next season. Focus more on the mythology of the show and less on just having random action and random sequences and not introduce so many characters and just kill them off. I was thinking that Randall would be the big bad, but Randall, like all the other characters in the show, were just using as a device to get from point A to point B. All right. I think he got cut off there okay. at the, the end of his uh, end of his call, <laughs> but he still made some good points before that. So you know, he was disappointed in the in the episode because he didn't get the background and the exposition on the tower and some of the things that he was looking for. I can see his point of view. I didn't have that expectation, so I wasn't right. disappointed in that way. But if you were looking forward to that, I can totally see how this would disappoint mm-hmm. you because we didn't really get any of that. Yeah. Um, it's it's definitely something that I agree with him on. But at the same time, I think that we might see more of this at the beginning of next season because they're still in the tower. They're, they've not left yet. Indeed. Um, thank you. All right. So... I think uh, I think we have more to look forward to with what the tower is, why it's there, and who done it. Yeah, I mean that that is probably going to be their base now and trying to fix stuff at least for the next couple of episodes. I would imagine, although <laughs> Tom could just be there and then leave the next episode. Yeah. Who knows? I, I certainly hope that they're going to be there for. A little bit longer just to show us more but so i'm not i'm not ruling it a, a failed trip to the tower yet uh, as far no as way. exposition goes no. um the power coming on everything turning on i think we've already had one comment about leaving the light switch on for 15 years uh, i totally agree it's far-fetched but at the same time so it's going out at for in the first place so true <laughs> i don't and then there's no other way they could have illustrated it really right I don't know. I do question how are those power lines still going to be intact after 50, 15 years. I mean, we have power outages every day across the state, much less the entire country. Sure. And if you have nobody fixing the things that are causing those power outages because there's no power, right. I don't think you can expect a whole lot to still be on. Uh, that being said, it is a TV show. We've already, I personally have already gotten past the fact that there's infrastructure. I mean, I know I harp on the fact that they can make it 
several hundred miles on two gallons of fuel in a helicopter. Right. So, uh, I mean, there's just some things that, yes, you're right, Kome, <laughs> but uh, it is a show, and I think we just have to... To roll with it. Yeah, take yeah. that one. He talked about maybe the show going in a different direction next season, and I completely think mm-hmm. that that's what they're going to do, and not because they've made mistakes or not because they weren't satisfied with what they did in season one, but I think that that is the nature of what this show is proving mm-hmm. itself to be. What they did in the second half of season one after they had the long break. Well, the long break we got between season one A and season one B mm-hmm. is longer than what we're going to get between now and season two. You know, they, Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they kind of did some different things with the show. And some of it, no doubt, was because they recognized some things that needed to be done differently. You can call them mistakes if you want, but... Not all of that is. Some of it is, is very intentional. And so I think in a combination of those things, yeah, the show, like I said in the last podcast, it's, they reshuffled the deck and yeah, I think it's intentional. I think this is the story they had in mind and, and mm-hmm. they're just rolling with it, which is awesome. Yeah. It's my, my opinion on it anyway. All right, Kome, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. Appreciate it every time you call in. Let's get uh, back to the feedback with Coop. Hi, Daryl and Jeremy. It's Coop with feedback for the Revolution season finale. I felt it to be the best collection of dialogue we've had all season and the best episode by far. I have always enjoyed the show, but its pacing made me fear that the longevity of such an adventure would get bogged down in TV tropes and ultimately succumb to the Firefly effect. Tonight's episode allowed the show to be great, and I see Revolution becoming a true TV force this fall. Ha ha. Anyone that left at midseason, your loss, Amazon's gain. <laughs> the cliffhangers for this week were great, however, overshadowed by great performances and writing that opened and closed many story arcs. In only a few scenes, David Lyons and the writers did a great job of flushing out who the Monroe character really is. We knew the origin of Miles and Monroe was strong dating back to their childhood. In those few new scenes that focus 10 years after the blackout, we see Monroe as a sincere and truly caring friend of Miles. The rebel bombing at the bar revealed the turning point for both. As crazy as it was to kill the bomber, Monroe viewed it as a justified act for attacking his family. Once again, not justified, Monroe became more protective of his lifelong friend and changed his whole approach to commanding from that day forward. Miles, on the other hand, viewed it as one step too far. That single act is the seed for tension that we have seen on screen since the first episode. And, as Miles pulls away, the paranoia surrounding Monroe increases and turns out of control. Tom is still Tom. I'm glad we once again saw the act and reinforced exactly who he is. I hope NBC signed him to a multi-year deal. Rachel's actions in the keycard scenario show a clear disregard for Charlie. Does she love Danny more, or is this just a cover for her to complete part of the larger plan? Does the disregard for Charlie stem from the fact that she's a child of Miles? But wait, she still loves Miles. Hmm, too much for this feedback, but we'll see that Rachel is playing an even larger role as season two unravels. Now we can move away from the tower and focus on to the next chapter. Can anyone say government conspiracy? 
Who doesn't like that? Time to go home, Mr. President. I wonder, is he Yoda hiding in the Dagobah system or the Emperor ruling from the side? Randall was a patriot. Who else is a patriot? The East Coast will be left wide open. Not sure what that means. I was happy with the end, only wanting to know Rachel's true motivation. She will play the entire team next season and ultimately reveal herself as a patriot as well. This is Coop from Texas, where Monroe is still alive. All right, Coop. Man, such good stuff. Um, I'll ask you, I'll start with this. He said perhaps that um, the president is either Yoda in the Dagobah system. He's totally the emperor. Or the emperor playing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would I would go that route too. Maybe it's because it's more of a political ploy. Yeah, he's he's in, a, he's in a political position, and we saw Palpatine use politics to gain his mm-hmm. position. So I think for that alone, I see that more of being a correlation between the two. But right. I, I'm seeing more of a yeah. Palpatine also. What about Rachel? He was talking about her maybe playing the whole field here and, and being a patriot revealed as a patriot next season. I think that would be interesting to see that she was on Randall's side the whole time. Yeah, and we did say, in fact play right into my whole Darth Vader thing and I would love that but well look the show is called Revolution mm-hmm. you know it's thinking about s- starting something fresh starting mm-hmm. you know that's what Randall did his last act really is going to start a whole new United States right potentially yeah. so she could be a revolutionary as well and I, I don't know I, I like the thought anyway it's, yeah. it's fun to think about yeah uh, I think it's it's great. Um, he mentioned something that that to me almost kills the freight train that I've been riding for so long. He, the time travel train? No, the oh, uh, dang it. who Charlie's dad is oh. train. He talks about uh, Rachel's disregard essentially for Charlie, what it means, and he mentions uh, like what we had said earlier. Um, maybe it reminds her of her relationship with Miles. Yeah, and that's why she hates Charlie so much. Um, but she still loves Miles. Well, if the latter is the case and she still loves Miles, Charlie would remind her of her yeah. time with Ben, yeah. and that's why she hates him. Well, it's, it seems pretty clear that ben, she and Ben didn't, at some point didn't care for each other. We don't know how long that right. was, but at the very end, mm-hmm. at, at, the, at the least, they didn't, yeah. she didn't care for him. Right. And we don't know if Danny was not Miles' that's son. Right. He could have been Monroe's son. No, I don't think so. I don't either. No. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that derails that train a little bit for me, uh, actually considerably, because she does hate Charlie, mm-hmm. but she doesn't hate Miles. And I've been playing along the idea that, well, she resents Miles. Well, yeah. if she doesn't, which we see in that conversation with Nora that she doesn't, okay, now what? Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah. It's good. It's good observations. I mean, he mentioned the characters too, and the, just the way they kind of played yeah. within themselves, which was very similar to what Colin uh, said a few callers ago before we read. He had almost it was it was interesting how, how similar what their thoughts yeah. were on the characters, and I yeah. completely agree. You know, he talked about Monroe looking at Miles as family, and when he said that, I, I, I agree with that. By the way, but it reminded me of something you said, and I've kind of reinforced since you said it was that. Rachel and Monroe aren't necessarily all that different. And we know that Rachel has been motivated by this 
this uh, love she had for Danny. Right. You know, she's been so focused on that. And if since my uh, yeah, since Miles was the only family that Monroe had left, you know, protecting him and defending him, doing it at all costs. You know, when that bomb went off and almost killed the only family he had right. left, it certainly does kind of put it in a different perspective. Yeah. Both in terms of why Monroe would take such drastic steps per, to protect mm-hmm. Monroe, Miles, but also similarities between Monroe and Rachel. Yeah. I liked I liked the insight we got on on the yeah, this week certainly. Okay, Coop, thank you again so much. Appreciate it, and thanks for he's in the live show right now. Thanks for being here. Let's move on to Mark. Hey there, revolutionaries. Mark from Ontario, Canada. Here, it's great news about the Almost Human podcast. I probably would have watched the show anyways, but now the Golden Spiral Media is involved. It's a no brainer, and it's about time that Clint comes back. No offense, Jeremy, but it's all about his singing. Now, here are my random thoughts about the Dark Tower. Now that's what I call a season finale. It had everything we can hope for. Action, intrigue, suspense, grief, surprise, and so on. I really don't envy you, Daryl, when it comes to picking the quotes of the week from this episode, as the dialogue was outstanding. Did anyone else think the opening sequence reminded them about Firefly? It was pretty much a given that Miles and Bass wouldn't shoot each other. But what about Nora? I was half expecting her to put a bullet into him for what he did to her. I'm sure Miles would have forgiven her. Isn't Tom a great people person? He sure has a way to make himself sound good while he puts bullets into people. Grace really laid one on Aaron. Do you think he's feeling a little bit used? First he finds out about his code, and then about why Ben befriended him. This guy just can't get a break. I found the C4 on the tower door a bit of a stretch. I know the writers needed to give the characters a way back in, but I'm sure that door was built to withstand a lot more than what they threw at it. So if Randall is all thumbs when it comes to computers... Who used Aaron's back door to sabotage the nanites? That was a very touching scene between Rachel and Nora. You could tell Nor- Nora had given up when she told Rachel the Miles would choose her every time. And Aaron obviously knew it by the way he said goodbye to her. I can't wait until next season to see how things go between Charlie and Rachel. Didn't you just love the scene between Tom and Monroe? Tom must be one of the best TV villains ever because you just love to hate him so much. Watching the scene with Monroe in the field, surrounded by lightning, makes me wonder, has there been any lightning storms for the past 15 years? Had the nanites been absorbing that power as well? Although I did think Randall would die before Monroe, I didn't think it would be this season, and I never would have thought by his own hand. I was totally shocked when he shot himself. Now, about those ICBMs. Do you guys remember an old Twilight Zone episode about this guy with a remote control that allowed him to pause the world? He would press the button and go about his business while everyone else was frozen in time. Then, when he was done, he would unpause them, and they would continue on as if nothing had happened. The end of that episode finished with a nuclear war about to happen. The guy pressed the button when the missiles were right about to hit their target. He was left stuck in a frozen world, knowing that if he unpaused it, everything would be destroyed. I think that's where revolution is going. Since Randall disabled the button, the only way to stop the nukes is to shut down the power again. After all, what's the point of this show if the power is back on? I think Aaron will turn the nanites back on just in time for the ICBMs to crash into the ground, but not detonate. Then, they're left with the dilemma that if they turn the power back on again, the missiles could explode. One last thing before I sign off. Jeremy, I have a question for you. Back in episode one of the Revolution podcast, before the show even aired, you mentioned that you were writing a book very similar to Revolution, and that you hoped they didn't take too many of your ideas. So now, how about giving us an update? How's the book coming along? And now that you've seen the show, how does it compare to what you were writing? 
Well, that's it for me. Hope you enjoyed it, Barb. Until next season, keep your candles close by for when the power goes out again. This is Mark from Ontario, Canada. All right, Mark, thank you so much. Jeremy, how's the book coming along? Uh, how's the book coming, huh? Hmm? Yeah, Brian? No? Family guy? All right. Um, Sorry, no. Yeah. Book's coming. It's good. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, it's It's been reworked pretty much since uh, we started the podcast because of a few inconsistencies with time travel that have required <laughs> me to uh, reconsider what I had written. Okay. Uh, I worked myself into a corner, but uh, yeah, it's coming along. Uh, there's been a lot of things that have been very similar. Is that right? And I've had to uh, reconsider and rework some of those as well, because like I said, I don't like seeing things that are too close, but it's a different world, so yeah, it's okay. Well, sim- speaking of similar things, he, he mentioned the, the Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. It's a wonderful episode of The Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone is is probably my number one show of of all time. I mean, Lost is up there, Fringe is up there, Twin Peaks is up there. Um, but the show that I can sit down and literally spend an entire Saturday and Sunday watching is The Twilight Zone. We got news this week that J.J. Abrams has struck a deal to develop the final project that rod serling did before he died really and it's a project called the stops along the way and um i can't wait for that and i know jj's a huge twilight zone fan mm. as well so um but you're right i'm glad you thought of that because that, that episode hadn't occurred to me until you until you mentioned it so mark thanks for for mentioning that mm. what, what were some of the other things that he mentioned that you uh found interesting uh, well, the lightning storms uh yeah he wanted to know if they were new we haven't really talked to him about them the way Monroe looked at it, to me, it felt like they haven't been around. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you could say that, but it also could have been because that lightning storm was intense. Maybe you've never right. seen it. Help me remember, you know, we got a storm back early in the first half of the season when the barn collapsed on Tom and Danny rescued him right. and then he turned around and recaptured Danny. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember if there was any. There was like a tornado there. Right. But I don't, I don't remember, remember lightning. If there was lightning or not, I you? honestly can't remember if yeah. there was. I don't think there was. Yeah. I think we may have even mentioned and questioned that during that. But yeah, um, I, don't, I don't recall. I can't recall. Yeah. Okay. It was definitely a tornado, but I don't mm-hmm. recall lightning. Okay. All right. Anything else from yeah. that opening sequence? We uh, firefly talked about that er- earlier. Yeah. Uh, the name of the song. I wrote it down, but then I lost it. So I didn't write it down. Um, I was really reminded of the Firefly there at the beginning. I loved the montage part of it just to kind of help yeah. remind us of there was some What's scenes in there that, that I mean, I hadn't forgot about them and yeah. in, in that I didn't know that they existed, but it was mm-hmm. like I hadn't thought about them. It refreshed me on some things that yeah. I had set aside, you know, it, along the course of the way. It right. kind of helped rem- remind us of the big picture of the story that we've been presented mm-hmm. with for season one, which was awesome. Yeah. All right, well, let's get back to the feedback. This one comes in from Emily. Hello to all citizens of the newly established Neville Territory. This is Emily calling from the Plains Nation. If your power's back on, you're not alone. What's it called when a soldier takes command of an army by subversion and force? Well, at least Neville is sticking to the pirate code. This season finale was my kind of cliffhanger. It wasn't the classic cliffhanger where someone's life hangs in the balance or the lead is standing at the windows of one of the World Trade Centers looking out across a parallel universe. There was a satisfying and defining moment which tied a nice little bow on the main objective of Season 1 Part 2. 
and it set up a double threat for next season, one with an immediate effect, the missiles, and one with a more prolonged effect, the president. The president of the United States and presumably his cabinet have been sequestered out in a United States colony in Cuba. It seems as though they have been waiting for Randall to complete his mission so that they can return to the mainland. Whether this mission was to turn the lights back on or launch the missiles or both still seems a bit unclear. What this means in terms of shifts in power has yet to be determined also. All that was confirmed was that there is a president and that he is going home. We don't know what their military looks like or if they have one, nor of the current state of their relations with foreign allies. The tactics of existing territories has become such that a negotiation-friendly democratic liaison would be assassinated the moment he stepped foot onto Neville's territory. These various self-governed entities, uh, Georgia Federation, the California Commonwealth, the Monroe Republic, they have been dancing around one another, keeping their land locked down and negotiations between each other hostile at best. Each wants more land with more variety. And no one from what we've seen even wants to work on rebuilding something like the United States. It would be one thing if everyone would just keep to within their borders, trade as they saw fit, and made an effort to be peaceable. But the aggression runs deep, and the rebels moving from location to location, territory to territory, trying to poke holes in Monroe's agenda is as detrimental to reestablishing the United States as it is helpful. Certainly, when the president returns, he won't be met with complete subordination. There will be people who will take a side, like the rebels. But the likelihood of turning the power back on, meaning anything but a full-scale war, seems a bit improbable in my mind. It's interesting to think about how necessary communication is between bordering nations, and how abruptly that must have been cut off 15 years ago. As relationships disintegrated between political bodies in the face of a worldwide power outage, so did the ability to maintain a nation even as small as the United States. Will the ability to communicate internationally once again help to settle disputes? Or will it agitate the already existing hostilities? Needless to say, Season 2 has a story primed and ready to be blown wide open, and I could not be more excited. Thanks for a great year of podcasting, guys. Jeremy, I am glad you like kiwis. I would be eating them, too, if I'd made the bet. This is Foamy Once, reminding you to always kill him when you have the chance. She's Amen. so good, isn't she? Man. Always killing when you have the chance. So she's right, though. I mean, the the all the disputes that we've had against, you know, we know that Texas and the Plains Nations right. have been at war, and and uh, uh, with Monroe, right. and Georgia obviously has. We don't know if like Texas has fought Georgia or anything right. like that, yeah. but we know that conflict has been coming from all around. Mm-hmm. That there doesn't seem to be a widespread movement for all of these distinct factions to come together in unity. Right. And I, to that, I say what, what you said in the last podcast mm-hmm. is that might be why Randall, you know, launched the nukes because mm-hmm. he knew that the only way to bring unity and he, he said it as much in, in, in mm-hmm. some terms, and that is to burn down the existing so that new can right. rise and grow from that. Right. But it also might be because he saw that there was no hope for a quick, peace without first bringing everyone down to their knees right um and that being said i don't think okay i know texas isn't going to just be steamrolled they're not just gonna let somebody take over no way um so yeah i don't and and that's why i think this president is going to be evil because He's going to try and force these people together. It's not going to be, oh, yay, the president's here. We're all right. Nobody voted for this president. Nobody knows who this man is. Right. Why would we follow you any more than we would follow Monroe? 
So this president has something up his sleeve, unless he's going to die in the first episode, which would be hilarious. That could happen, too. I mean, he's got to have a plan. And in order to have a plan, he has to think it's going to work. So, I mean, there's there's something evil behind him that we're going to see. But I think all he's looking for is, I think the mission of Randall was the nukes, not the power. I think that's kind of made pretty clear. It's to start new. Um, the power is secondary. Yeah. So could be, and she also mentioned, you know, kind of the broader scale of things in terms of international communication and relations. And look, that's something that's back on the page as of right now, because the power is back on, but if they have to end up turning off the power in order to to disable the nukes, then that changes things again. But if the power remains on, that does open up a whole wider world. In fact, being taken over to Cuba, already has at least given us our first international glimpse into this world of revolution. Yeah. But I, I think it could go beyond that. It, but I think the power has to stay on for that to happen. I agree. Not, not necessarily. We do know that Georgia was trading with Europe. Yeah. So there is a possibility of it, but it seems like telecommunications, wireless communications need to be in place in order mm-hmm. to really bring them heavily into the story, but right. perhaps not. Yeah. I mean, you don't absolutely need it, but boy, it, Sure helps. Yeah. So definitely. Well, Emily, great feedback as always. As I mentioned in the, in the last podcast, Emily and I are going to be doing a show for TV talk this summer for Falling Skies, which by the time this episode is out, we will have already done our first episode. So go over to tvtalk.com. You can check out our first show on Falling Skies season three. You can also go to the Apple App Store and download the TV Talk app for your iPhone or iPad or to the Google Play uh, store and get the TV Talk app for your Android device and give it a listen. We would certainly appreciate that. All right, Mm -hmm. Jeremy, one more feedback. This one comes in from our friend Chip. Hello, revolutionaries out there. Hey, I know it's been a while. This is Chip calling... Kinnewolf23 in the chat rooms. Uh, there's uh, really some likes and dislikes I had uh, out of this episode. Uh, disliking. I'm really not digging uh, Rachel's character at all. Uh, she's just a psychotic loose cannon, and uh, she's not enjoyable. She's not redeemable. I, I don't know what it is exactly about her. Uh, I love the actress Elizabeth Mitchell uh, and other things she's done. Uh, I, I'm guessing the the way they're writing this character is just is just not what I'm digging. Boo, killing uh, Nora. Did not like that at all. It's like they're just getting her out of the way so maybe Miles and Rachel can get something going next season. I really like Nora's character. Uh, last thing, really not sure what they're doing with Charlie. I thought that she was going to be like the big deal of the show when it started, and it maybe they just kind of course-corrected when they got audience responses. So um, I hope they can do more with her next year. Likewise, in the terms of liking things. Uh, the Miles Monroe bromance is really heating up, huh? Uh, and I was wondering when somebody was going to mention this, uh, I forget how they phrased it, the pseudo-sexual whatever tension. Uh, I don't know if there's any of that, but yeah, you kind of wonder. They're very close. But I, I dig, I really enjoy that. Um, also, Aaron, yay, I'm glad he made it. I was really uh, thinking he might not have made it through this episode. I'm glad he did. Uh, I love Miles' uh, uh, ticked-off look. He's always looking really angry, ticked-off, and I, I just love the way uh, that he's doing that. And then uh, Randall, boom, whoa, 
was not expecting that. Not at all. Tom, wow, uh, that guy, the, the actor uh, John Carlo, just does an amazing job. He just chews up scene after scene that he's in, and I just love listening to him talk. Uh, he's he's a character that I love to hate, and uh, it contrasts, I think, with uh, Elizabeth Mitchell's character, Rachel, who I hate to hate. I, I want to like some part of her, um, but I, I don't yet. And then the U.S. in Gitmo, whoa. Now, now we can't close Gitmo. Yet somebody needs to call the president and tell him, no, don't do that. We, we gotta save it for when the power goes out. Uh, I think that sets up an awesome, uh, next season. And finally, I was not expecting, uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles to be fired at the end of the season. So a nice cliffhanger. I think that was a very satisfying ending. And I have really enjoyed the podcast, guys. You do a tremendous job. Love the chemistry that has developed this season. And I'm looking forward to hopefully many more seasons of both Revolution and the Revolution podcast. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate what you do here. And just remember, the Revolution will not be televised. See ya. All right. Well, you know, I can't disagree with his assessment or his thoughts on Rachel. I mean, yeah. she's, I love Elizabeth Mitchell, as does he. Her rate, her, her Rachel, her character is not one that I have really grown to like. <laughs> and, but I like what Elizabeth Mitchell's doing with her. It's just that, man, she's just a, a, a character that you kind of really can't stand right now, particularly after what she did to Charlie this, this yeah. week. Yeah. I've never really been a huge fan of Rachel, and I never trust her, but um, I do like her loose cannon personality. I like the fact that she's nuts and that she's different. I mean, we see a lot of characters that are labeled as bad guys, and we expect them to act like that, but Rachel is labeled a good guy, and she acts pretty chaotic, and I kind of I like that. It's something that we don't see often. I, I don't don't hate her a whole lot, but she's conflicted, and I do look forward to seeing what... Uh, we can learn from her and about her in the future. But I think of all the characters in the show, I actually, I like the character, even though they may frustrate me and stuff. Well, I'll so. say this, you know, now that she has done what she has came, come to do, which is mm-hmm. turn the power back on for Danny. Right. What will be her new stick? Yeah. yeah. What will be her motivation? What, you know, so who knows with, if mm-hmm. they do have to end up turning the, the power back off because of the nukes, then, I could put her right back where she was. I don't right. know, but it'll be interesting to see where they where she goes. Well, I don't know why they couldn't you know, just turn the power back on after they turn the power back off. Unless it reactivated the nukes, I don't know how it works. I don't know if it but could she do could that. be like a dog who's just caught the car and doesn't now just doesn't know what to right. do. You know, to use yeah. your analogy that you stole yeah. from Batman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everybody who sent in feedback. So much feedback we got. I, I I included more than we normally do because this was the season finale. And there was so much good stuff that, that got sent in and I hated just to exclude just a couple. So, uh, I hope you don't mind the longer podcast this week, but we, we genuinely appreciate everybody that sent in and, and your great thoughts. And it just means so much. You guys always have better ideas than we do and articulate them in great ways. And we, we, we are so grateful for that. Um, you know, we're not really taking feedback. We don't anticipate doing a feedback podcast until we get ready for season two, but you can always call in and we'll listen to it and, and stuff. 
And that number is 304-837-2278. Or you can email us at feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. Follow us on facebook.com slash goldenspiralmedia. That's a great thing to do to keep up with all the stuff that we're doing this summer, as well as following us on Twitter at GSM Podcast. And that, of course, it gets us into our Twitter poll for the week. All right. This time I didn't really uh, ask you, you know, about something. I wanted to know what your favorite part of the finale was. So my question was that my favorite part of the revolution season finale was blank. Fill in the blank. So here's what we have. Mark says, let's see. Marksman design says knowing Jeremy lost the Kiwi bet. And that it made me even more anxious for next season. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> Bad Wobot uh, says, power on. Test 315 says, the conversation on the beach. And then the tent between Miles and Monroe, getting to understand their brotherhood. Zort70 says, the opening montage sequence was great. And also at the end, the novelty of a light being switched on and off. That was good, I agree. And he says, my least favorite part was all the new people, the red shirts, being killed in one quick blast. Princess T. Taylor says, Charlie confronting Rachel to save Nora. Or Miles using bass as a diversion after the talk. Or push, or the button push to turn the power on. Lots of good things there. Uh, Zeppelin driver says the ICBM launch didn't see that every or don't see that every day. What a cliffhanger! Least favorite was Randall's suicide. What the heck? Toa of Pi says you know that surprising moment at the very end. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Seasons Zine says my favorite part of the Revolution season finale was Guantanamo Bay. Other Ben Crane says everything until Randall blew up Philly, Atlanta, and himself. Season two is now a politically is now a political drama. Scratching head. Well, he didn't technically blow them up yet. We'll see. Missa Fleet Alex says strangely it was Monroe and Miles working together for the good guys. Really enjoyed that. Not sure why. Jarrett Morland says, my favorite part of the revolution season finale was that brief moment when I thought Tom was honor, was an honorable leader. I wasn't the only one. <laughs> Thank you, Jarrett. You and I were the only ones duped by that, I think. <laughs> uh, Robert AK18 says, opening montage music, can't find my way home. That little look Miles gave Monroe to shift target equals shared history. Orion321 says, my favorite part was Randall revealing himself as a patriot. This also led to the reveal of the United States government. Uh, Keeksta says, my favorite part of the revolution finale was simply seeing the power being turned back on. What an exciting moment. I Am A TV says, Rachel, Aaron, the power, Monroe's escape, the lightning, the launch, Randall, just everything, including this podcast. That's a great one. Thank you for that. And Todd says, my favorite part was the promise that was made by the USA is finally coming back into power and become a world power once again. So those are the responses we got from this. I will say that I might have missed a few unintentionally. Uh, for whatever reason, Twitter was acting up on me when I pulled this up. So let me let me go back through here and see if I can find. Yeah, that might be all. Did we do Jim? I see Jim here. My favorite part of the finale was when Monroe didn't die. Sorry, Jeremy. Also liked Randall's chain reaction with the ICBMs. 
RVL111 says the re-emerging bromance between Miles and Bass. Sorry, Jeremy, your prediction was foiled by guys that can't aim. <laughs> and let's see, Lynn1429582 says my favorite part was the Miles and Monroe scenes. Makes me wonder if Monroe will join the Rebels next season. And I think that's it. So thanks to everybody who sent in. Again, I might have missed a couple. Hopefully I didn't. But if I did, my apologies for that. So that was a really good round of uh, responses to this. Do you want to tell us what your favorite part of the finale was? My favorite scene in the finale would have been uh, Tom shooting Major. Yeah. Just revealing. His true character. Tom is still Tom. Yeah, I will say my jaw, like I literally gasped when Randall killed himself. So as far as reaction goes, that one, probably number one. My heart was pounding as, as Aaron is, <laughs> is turning on the power, like yeah. what's going to happen. And so that that was really good. And then when the, we got the Guantanamo Bay, when the camera pans out and then identify where that, I was like, no way. I think I said that out loud. Yeah. So those three scenes really come to mind. And I've mentioned how much they, the Charlie Rachel dialogue there where Rachel yeah. basically shut down Charlie was really a powerful scene in terms yeah. of character development. So I can't choose one either guys. It, there was so many, you know, good parts in this episode. Indeed. <laughs> Huzzah. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the revolution podcast. I mentioned in the last podcast, all the stuff we're doing this summer with golden spiral media. I encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. I gave that information, GSM podcast for Twitter, facebook.com slash golden spiral media, subscribe to the all inclusive feed over uh, in, in Stitcher or iTunes. And you can also stay tuned over, uh, you know, find all of our content over at golden spiral media.com. Uh, you can support our podcast and what we do here by going over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash support. All of our affiliate links are there. You can make donations there as well. Or if you'd like to look into sponsoring uh, this podcast or any of our other podcast productions, you can find that information there as well. We would certainly appreciate that very, very much. Mm. Anything else? Any final words for season one from you, Jeremy? No. Uh, thanks for listening to us for a whole season. Yeah. Thank you're you pretty, very much. Pretty uh, tough to make it through a, a podcast with me and it's super appreciated. So. <laughs> and you've gotten better each week as we've gone along. You've, you've um, gotten more confident in what you're doing and, and not that you know we're like the world's best podcasters or anything, but we're Jeremy, thank Sorry. Sorry if you were delusional on that. Dang it. But uh, thanks for joining me for this journey. This first season, we are looking very much forward to doing season two together mm-hmm. and with you guys as well. Yeah. All right. Until that time, I will say, look up in the sky. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? Oh crap, it's nice EPM! A Kiwi a day keeps the doctor away. The Revolution Podcast and Golden Spiral Media are not associated with Bad Robot Productions, Kripke Enterprises, Warner Brothers, or NBC. Golden Spiral Media's use of any and all copyrighted material is only for parody, news analysis, critique, or educational purposes as provided within United States Code Title 17, a.k.a. Fair Use. For advertising opportunities, live show, and other Golden Spiral Media podcast productions, visit goldenspiralmedia.com. Copyright 2013, Golden Spiral Media. <laughs>